Hello, gentlemen. The one and only. I'm not the one and only. I searched one time. There's 28 Dane cooks in the United States. I'm the most successful of all the Dane cooks. Well, thanks for taking the time today, sir. Well, I'm glad I got a chance to come through, and I do have to go now. But no. uh, thank you, guys. <laughs> that you was good enough. Work. You want me to lean out of it? Should I come come in when you say? No, oh, you're good. <laughs> you're ah, good. You slow, stay right there. Slowly <laughs> pop up. Very. Crazy. I just happen to be behind it, and then I go like this, and I go, "Oh, God. my boy, this is comedy." <laughs> Comedy. <laughs> You're listening to an Apex Mindset episode of the RCN podcast, where we learn from inspiring individuals who push the boundaries to reach extreme levels of success. Apex Mindset. Elevate your life. On this Apex Mindset episode of the RCN podcast, the award-winning stand-up comedian and film actor, Dane Cook. I was a kid who had a lot of deep-rooted anxiety, a lot of confusion as to where my place was in the world. The first thing I remember stand-up providing was, was calm, and I think I identified immediately those people standing alone with the microphone speaking outward are looking like I am for the same connection. I was kind of funny at home. And so the idea at 14 or 15 that, hey, maybe I'll do an open mic after I graduate high school and see if stand-up is something that I can do. Once I was a few months in, that physicality, it was there. I think it was love of the game. I can't believe I'm doing it. The fact that I can even speak in front of a crowd made me want to do everything. I took full advantage and I threw the kitchen sink in when I was up there and I would do anything I could to get the laugh. I had no plan B. I had no fallback on. That's when I told my family, I'm not doing this for halfway anymore. I'm gonna, I wanna be one of the best. I, wa I wanna make it to the history books. I wanna do something in the holy shit never been done before business. When I started seeing the finish line, it was like, oh my goodness, when I get there, I'm gonna have to live up to that. Who am I? What is my true philosophy, personal constitution, perspective? If you don't have that knowledge and you're saying, how do I get there so I'm ready for victory? And start looking in the mirror and being very honest about who you are. Be human, be present, be real right now, today. And the sooner you get right with yourself and sweep your side of the street, success won't be so scary. Oh my yes. Lanta. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> the one and only. I'm not the one and only. I searched one time. There's 28 Dane Cooks in the United States. I'm not the one but, and only. I'm the, come on. I'm the most successful of all the Dane Cooks. Okay, cheers to that. There we go. <laughs> we appreciate you joining us. We're excited to talk with you and bring you to our community today. So thank you for joining us. First of all, why do you sound like one of those computer generated voices during the intro? <laughs> we are Matt is AI. Happy here today on the network. I, I do get told uh, that I might be AI, but I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're, a, you're an NPC, as the as we now say in the Warzone community. In the Warzone community. <laughs> we, we'll have to talk more about that in a little bit. <laughs> that sounds like a thread. 
<laughs> no, about uh, the, the no. gaming there. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. So the way we like to start these, we like to dig into your story a little bit. Our our podcast and our show on the Apex Mindset is about digging into the minds and the backgrounds of people who have done something incredible, so, you know, risen to the top in their industry. And Dane, we recognize you as that especially in the uh, comedy world, uh, you introduced me to comedy. I, I, I was not big into comedy, and back in uh, my high school days, me and my friends, you were the only comedian we listened to. So when I got the chance to, to speak with you, I was like, man, this is like this is the one guy. If somebody asked me, name somebody in comedy, the only person I name is Dink Cook. Dink Cook. I, like, I, like that it was, I like that it was actually through uh, hearing my comedy because the introduction made it sound like, I literally introduced you to comedy. I walked you into a club at 15. I said, oh boy, this is comedy. Comedy. Uh, well, you know, that's how it Your felt, I guess. So. Comedy, my child. Uh, I appreciate that, man. I got to tell you, when I put out that first album, the first one I did, Harmful of Swallowed, I had no... I thought it was a calling card and something that maybe like would help me for a year or two and then... I kind of thought, man, I don't, I don't know how many of these will end up being in people's uh, CD players at the time, or maybe MP3 players. But, uh, <laughs> the fact that it was, it made uh, uh, an impact after what we're probably going to dig into, like a lot of tough, really hard, um, confusing, uh, meandering years. It was nice to finally have something that really made an impact that we can look at a cornerstone moment today. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And and so I'd like to start back. Uh, and I know that obviously you have so many stories and such a history, but can you take us through in a, in a couple minutes the journey for the people that maybe don't know your story, the journey of like what your childhood life was like and a little bit of the story that took you into your first time getting into comedy? And you want me to do that in two minutes? To just a few minutes. Yeah, you know, I mean, we could be here for hey, hours. You're the one who said this looks like a game show. Go. That's the challenge. It's the bonus round. Okay. All right. Golf 31. I was 15 years old. I was watching Saturday Night Live. And I thought, you know what? This looks like a bunch of funny people that hang out all the time. And I'd like to go there and participate. Um, the reality is this. Stand-up comedy. Ready? Watch me downshift into, like, the most serious. I was, I was a kid who had a lot of um, deep rooted anxiety a lot of um kind of knotted up pent up uh confusion as to where my place was in the world i didn't know if i belonged with the kids on the playground i didn't feel like i belonged in the classroom i didn't feel like i belonged sometimes in the neighborhood i felt like i was like the true definition of an introvert and i didn't know how to connect but i knew the one thing that connected to me was comedy and when mm -hmm. i watched stand up when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, I felt calm. The first thing I remember stand-up providing was was calm, even even maybe more than sometimes the laughter, because I didn't always understand all the adult, you know, humor that I was hearing, or maybe some of it was just comedy that wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't a political comic, but the person standing there delivering their perspective in a funny way made me feel calm. Uh, and I think I identified immediately I wonder if those people standing alone with the microphone speaking outward are looking like I am for the same connection by, you know, by sharing outward. And I think I was desperately in need of, um, of whatever that conjugal was for me. 
And so the idea at 14 or 15 that, hey, maybe I'll do an open mic after I graduate high school and see if stand-up is um, something that I can do as well as I enjoy receiving it. So that was kind of the childhood years version of like, it was going to take me out of a place that I was really not, I was not a sad kid, but I certainly wasn't, um, I wasn't enjoying that experience maybe of like being a teenager and then meeting friends in high school. And I still felt like I didn't know how to communicate well with people. So stand up was my first outward idea outside of the home of like, I wonder if I can get there someday. And what, what is it? What is that occupation? Where does it start? Um, a long road, even just getting to that first open mic. But that was what brought me to it. Like that idea of, man, maybe that's a place where I can feel like I belong. When, when you were first looking at, at comedy and you kind of had some of these thoughts, um, at that point, were you actually thinking of that as a potential career and or did you have any other paths, you know, in those in those high school, college years that you thought you might go down that you wanted to become apart from comedy? Ooh, that's a good question. And I will answer that very directly. I had no plan B. I had no fallback on because I didn't know what I was good at outside of I was kind of funny at home. When I was comfortable, I was funny. Um, did I try to prepare for a plan B? Yeah, I went to a my freshman year. I went there was a school. I don't know if it's still there in Lexington called Minuteman Tech. And I went there to learn basically graphic design because I do love um you know, drawing and, you know, creating whatever, like whatever poster you've seen or cover art. So I kind of had that a little bit, like I could enjoy that. Um, But the first part of your question, interestingly enough, I don't think I looked at it as a career. I don't think I even looked at the stand-up comedians I watched on TV as, oh, maybe that could be a career. I think I looked at it as like, I'd have a job and a life. And then sometimes I could be that person and that hobby seemed fulfilling that, yeah, that, it didn't really hit me until years later when I was on the road in Boston, where I was like, "Oh, this could be quite lucrative." So, okay, during that time, what what was your material based around when you very first, right out of the gates, you were approaching this? It was uh, pretty much just anything that you would be talking about when you were, you know, sitting around the cafeteria table in high school, right? It was it was girls, it was video games, it was uh, even though I don't drink. Um, it was observing and reporting on, on, on partying, on seeing what would happen to my friends once they imbibed a little bit too much. Sometimes the joke on me of being like, I'm the dry one in the room while everybody else is having fun. And, um, so it was, it was observing and reporting, but a very small circumference, you know, which was my life at that point. My life at that point was, uh, you know, well, high school and then graduate work at a pizza place, and then sometimes go out and do stand-up comedy. So I hadn't ventured far on into the world to have uh, a great repertoire of material. But the stuff that I did have coupled with an unbridled energy that I... When I hit the stage that, maybe not the first time because I was trying to figure it out, but once I was a few months in, that, that, uh, that physicality just... It was there. I think it was love of the game. I can't believe I'm doing it. And it was probably also like the fact that I can even speak in front of a crowd made me want to do everything. Physical, great vernacular, uh, you know, oversharing, cursing, uh, being naughty, being like anything I could do to get away with that in that 
15 minute spot before I had to go back to being the normal kind of shy person. I took full advantage and I kind of put it all, you know, I threw the kitchen sink in when I was up there and I would do anything I could to get the laugh. Okay, this brings up a good point because like just what you were doing, you're like you're bulleting all of these different things that you were aiming at. What were you observing during that time? Like how how were you approaching comedy um, that you believe kind of set you apart from other people? Oh man, well shit, it was it at at first it was um it, at first I was observing that there was a lot of greats in comedy. Uh, more than I'd even experienced on television. In fact, way more greats, even locally, that that in many cases were even funnier than what I'd seen on TV. Because even though somebody like at HBO at the time was was um, the cutting edge and uh, irreverent, like when you saw live comedy like locally late at night, you were hearing things that never would have made it to television. Um, so. I had a reverence for it immediately in, in, in the greats and the people that have been doing it. And then maybe a few years in, I started to then notice, oh, wait, that generation, there's a huge gap between the ones that made it in the 80s boom, the Robin Williams types and the Jerry Seinfelds and Roseanne and, you know, these people that broke through, they became so big that in their wake, there was a lot of people that, although funny they didn't have the same poignancy just because the era was so, you know, it's like being the space shuttle. And then for a decade, they go back to just rockets. It's like, no, no, no. Like we're still mesmerized by that interpretation. I, I realize, oh, wow, I'm, I'm of a generation now that when I go to these colleges, they're saying I've never seen a live stand-up show. So I'm the first up a new era and that's when I realized if I want to um well if I'm going to be really candid that's when I told my family I'm not doing this for halfway anymore I'm gonna I want to be one of the best I, I want to make it to the history books and if you support me in this I won't take it halfway I'm gonna I'm, I want to do something in the holy shit never been done before business um and my family was like we want to be on that ride and they were really really great and supportive but that's when I kind of saw it about 1993 I was like I'm at the I'm at the forefront of the next group that might yeah. make an impact in stand-up. So it was like, oh, wow, okay, let's see. It's either going to be an epic fail or it might be <laughs> something really dazzling. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people um, have that have that fear and disconnect of, like, thinking that they can't become something successful or that they they, they look at those greats and they're like, I don't know how they did it, but they, they kind of just put this wall up and they don't even think about pursuing it. You know, a lot of people just get stuck in their in their normal route of life and like they think that that's a whole nother level. And and I, I love you bringing that up of like there was a new era when you were going to those colleges. You were the first time of a lot of those people seeing stand up comedy. Sure. And and I look at that and I'm like, if you look at the most successful, most followed people in the world and you look at like the social medias, which is another thing we talk about where that became a powerful tool for you. You look at social media, the most followed people have a few hundred million followers and you start breaking that down to like semi successful, <clears throat> like 10 million. How many people globally are there to entertain? Like 
there is there is there is so much capacity i'm on the game show i thought you were asking me that and i had to (laughs) (laughs) a a real number we're going for double round dane can you do this (laughs) i'd daily double and answer that question i think it's a (laughs) spin the wheel hey you know you just said something i want to just quickly if you don't mind me interjecting yes Um, the reason why i feel like a lot of people i've been around a lot of successful people I've been a lot around a lot of people that are uh, pioneers. I've been around a lot of people in my career that uh, lost their success, uh, but still maintain, of course, dignity and in a in a wealth of mentor information. There's, you know, I, I know people at all these levels. Most people, it's not that they don't believe they can succeed. I think a lot of people allow themselves to not go forward because the realization is when you're successful, not only is that more work, but you have to be more honest about your strengths and your weaknesses. And I think Ooh. that's the hardest thing about life, whether it's your occupation or love or anything. If I do this and I succeed in it, I have to show up as me. I can't fake it till I make it anymore. I can't put on a facade. And the idea of success, and by the way, I had that even early. When I started seeing the finish line, it was like, oh my goodness, when I get there, I'm going to have to live up to that. Who am I? What is my true philosophy, personal constitution, perspective? And if you don't have that knowledge and you're saying, how do I get there so I'm ready for victory? Start journaling, do your therapy, get yeah. into meditation, ruminate, and start looking in the mirror and being very honest about who you are. The things that you don't like about yourself, maybe you need to forgive. The things that you've done to others that have impaired them or quite potentially have brought other people great amounts of value, own it that you'll provide both of those things. Be human, be present, be real right now, today. And the sooner you get right with yourself and sweep your side of the street, success won't be so scary. Okay, so like in doing research and like really diving in to you I just started growing an appreciation over and over and over again. You were talking about affirmations. You're talking about all these things that I am like, I geek out on. When did that journey begin for you? Was that like right around that time where you're jumping into comedy and you're like, well, I'm going to have to start like mining for material. Like when did you really start looking at what you were and what you were going to become? Yeah. Affirmations and like all that kind of, you know, uh, it's been a part of my life for so long that when you ask the question, it goes all the way back to when I was a kid and I was still trying to untangle those knots and figure out like where I belonged and, and being, and being kinder to myself. I was really hard on myself. It's a lot of self-loathing even when I was a teen and I'm not trying to woe is me, but I want people to really understand that like you can be in a, 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 a crippled mental state and you can come out and not only be just fine, but better from it. Um, and I think that, uh, for me, when I was at my lowest moments, my mom was always really encouraging. My mom had things that were like her versions of almost like affirmation. She would have to, God love her. She would have to talk me up a lot. Cause I had a lot of fear. She was constantly like, you know, championing me. Um, she had a, uh, a picture on the wall in her uh, bedroom. It was all gold. Today, you'd probably look at it and think maybe it was it looked gaudy, but at the time, it looked like something like, very like, ooh, this gold uh, fabric. And it was a path through the woods, gold, 
uh, gold uh, trees, and then it was a hill in the path. And sometimes my mom would go, let's look at that picture. Let's look at the picture. We'd be sitting in her in her bedroom talking, and on her waterbed, my mom had a fucking waterbed. Oh, man. Yes. My mom had a waterbed, and I, was, <laughs> I lived in the basement, and after my parents separated, sometimes my mom would have a date. And I'd be in my room downstairs, and I could hear the, the fucking ocean. The sloshing. Oh, yeah. the sloshing. I was like, oh, it's high tide. Donna's getting some action upstairs. Um, but anyway, going back to the... So we, we would look at the, the picture on the wall, and she would say, what do you think's over that hill? I, I, I could get emotional thinking of it. She would get excited. My mom had that same kind of... The way I in stand-up have a, uh, an, a, an enthusiasm, a curiosity... My mom had that. And she'd say, what do you think is over that? And we would contemplate mm. what was beyond this gold path Jeez, that led man. through the woods. And oftentimes we found uh, that we were believing in better things over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like vision boarding before it was even popular. <laughs> we weren't saying like, oh, there's probably a, a dumpster with a dead body over that hill. We were... Like, <laughs> we were we were populating that world with possibility. And I think I took from that, like, you should always stare at a painting and think good things are around the corner from whatever that vision was. And I think that was the beginning of uh, a necessity for me, which is if I don't continue to focus on positive and, and, and surround myself with uplifting, mindful people and things, I can I go back into that. I still do it. I can just dip into... I'm very good at chess in both thinking of these are the good moves I can make, but sometimes I find myself going, oh, wow, I could really get myself killed doing all of this. And that's that's almost like putting in negative energy into the thought of losing. And so I have to remind myself with affirmation and meditation and rumination of good things or else it's really easy for me to, it, almost in an exciting way, contemplate the worst possible scenario. And I can dream it up to where I'm starting to feel it. And I don't like that feeling. Okay, while we're talking about her, could you go into Be Your Best Friend? Yeah, that was a, a real mission statement from from my mom. You know, uh, I would say, why don't other people like me? Why don't people want to accept me? And she had this big thing of like, you know, be, you have to be your own best friend. It was a terrible statement at the time because all that sounded like was lonely <laughs> and love you alone. <laughs> it, it, yet I couldn't see the beauty in it and the value, which was love the things you do on your own, whether that's video gaming or journaling or maybe taking a camera and capturing some photography. It, it, love your own company, and then people will love your company. People will mm -hmm. want to actually be around you. If you're trying to be in everybody else's situation, but you don't have sense of self, what's going to happen? You're going to feel awkward. They're going to feel awkward. You're not going to get invited back to that that participation because, you know, you, you make it weird. So I think for a number of reasons, that simple kernel, and it's something that even when I mentor people, uh, I'll, I can identify sometimes somebody who does not like themselves, but they have a lot mm. to offer the world. And I can see that and I can say, I think you need to work on just <laughs> enjoying you, you know, enjoy the time that you have getting to know Wow, I got a lottery ticket win to be in this world. I have life. And we're always looking what fulfills my life instead of sometimes going, I'm here. What am I what am I here to share? And so mm. I always think starting with like 
building friendship with yourself first. And once you know that person, you can, you can do so much more. Mm, that's so good. Um, I'd love to touch on the, uh, the, you talk about being a pressure player, like this idea of, you know, when you were starting and even, I mean, not even just starting, but all the way through the anxiety piece and the, but when you got on stage, you got to be your real self and like it, it let you kind of have that power. And I, it's something that hearing you talk about that too, I've identified even in my pressure own player. self, like. When, when I go to events and stuff, if I don't know people, I am the guy like leaning on the wall. Even though I'm a, I'm a podcast host, I, I host a conference, I'm popular in our circle. Like sometimes that person that you would think, oh, they're just, they're top of my, like they walk in confident. Sometimes off stage, that's not the case. Oh yeah. How, the, the, some of them, some of the largest uh, figures that you and I and, and society knows when you start learning their, their mechanics. For example, I knew somebody who worked uh, early in her career when Whitney Houston first like became the biggest voice, you know, when she was at her breakthrough moment. This person worked with her for years and said she threw up before every time she sang. She was physically sick, scared. Uh, you wouldn't think that so poised and incredibly, you know, courageous in that voice. And yet there she was with a, a bucket <laughs> getting sick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, the trepidation and fear. I think sometimes it just balances out in life. I think everybody is capable of having a moment where they go out and they can feel like they have a shining moment. And I think everybody can feel like a moment of insignificance. And it's just trying to find the mechanics to get back to center, to realize both of those things can be. With what, with you overcoming that and learning, because even just the first time of getting on stage, a lot of people are scared to even just do that first time. How today people that are, you know, they have anxiety, they're scared to walk up to people and talk. They're scared to step on stage and try this. What do you tell those people to encourage them in their journey? That's the hardest part, man. It's it. I'm, and I'm very precious about uh, how I friend, how I mentor, because I think that part of the journey of this life is really figuring out with the artifacts that you take from your own experiences how to then move forward. Just like in comedy, I, I don't tell somebody what's funny or how to be funny or you should do this or I just try to protect your integrity so you can, in the journey, try to identify the things that you want and need. It's so different for everybody. I'm a pressure player, but I'm not every... Well, let me just, for people that don't understand, that means I'm the son of an athlete. My dad was a very gifted, confident as hell athlete. He also served in Korea. You know, this is a guy that I, I didn't, I was sensitive. My dad was on the other end of it. He was, he was like a bionic, uh, this incredible ability to just put himself out there. Uh, but I have, thankfully, the DNA. Uh, and so what I found was when I got on stage, the one thing I really shared with my dad from athleticism was I'm a competitor. I don't realize how much I am a competitor until I'm in the moment competing. Um, I have the luxury of not being a competitor that wants to beat you. I don't actually really like to compete, um, except if I'm playing like racquetball or something fun like that. Um, I'm not a light competitor. I'm a, what am I capable of exceeding in my own expectations competitor, which is great because then you're not constantly looking 
for somebody else to have a trajectory over them, which would be absolutely exhausting. And when I see people live like that, I'm like, you don't want to try to leapfrog everybody you see all the time. It's just, that's not how you want to live. But dialing it back to, well, how, how do you proceed forward? Or one of your listeners is like, oh, wait, I'm not a pressure player. Well, that is where you have to figure out whatever the the math or the core of like what makes you tick. Because if you're not a, a, a natural pressure performer, then um, you have to find out like, okay, what are the things that make me feel um, like the most together when I'm in front of people? Or maybe it's not in front of people. Maybe it's in, in a, you know, in a conference room or in the lab or wherever you are. Like what puts you at ease to feel like you can quickly pull the decisions that you've educated yourself on, you know, quickest. And for me, it's pressure. I like pressure. I'm better. I actually learned in high school, I was better when I did my homework walking into the classroom and trying to quickly learn versus spending three days studying. I would ace a test if I studied for 10 minutes quickly, but if I prepped and prepped and prepped and wrote and rewrote, in comedy, yeah. early on, if I tried to rewrite, 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 the joke wasn't as funny. If I took the shell of the idea on stage and put the pressure on myself, I found authentic moments that connected me with a crowd in a way that felt more meaningful. So you you have to find your um, your tempo. You have to figure out for you what works for me in that moment. And And that leads to you talking about sometimes the anxiety is excitement and the butterfly effect of like when when somebody feels that you can't always think oh getting butterflies is negative right like sometimes that's where the best things happen you you totally. want that excitement that you're on that edge a little bit of yeah. of a little bit scared a little bit excited <laughs> but yeah right. i love you talking about that just means you're getting closer to something real just means you're getting closer to you know closer to um actualizing something you know i do a lot of self-actualizing as well and it's like uh it, it, that's where that exists you know when you feel when you're feeling um when your heart starts racing you, your throat almost starts to close your eyes are going back you you know back and forth and you're trying to figure out like man how am i, am I going to be okay in this situation man this once you have the mechanics of whatever brings you the calm or the understanding that you're okay you're not going to be hurt in this situation, you know, if you, whatever those few feet are between the feeling precursor to it, to being in that moment of, you know, making something come to fruition, whatever you need to do in those few moments, you know, to, from, and to is, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's what you're trying to figure out. That's what we're all trying to understand in life is like, what makes me tick and how can I best be of service for the people around me in that moment? And how can it be gratifying? And what do I get out of that moment? I was really interested to like hear your note on how you viewed your comedy as not so much like I'm just going to sit here and write a joke, but I'm a storyteller and how you structured that. Could you kind of dive into how you how you look at your set? Yeah, it, it changes because sometimes I look at my set and I'm like, ah, I don't. Yeah, I'm. I'm not happy. I'm not happy where, where this is at. I'm not happy with, with, you know, sometimes I start a new routine in January and by April, I'm like, man, I, I'm building this thematically off the wrong, you know, the wrong uh, idea or foundation. 
but it's weird because doing this as long as I've done it now, I almost welcome the um, I, the breakdown moments. I almost welcome the failure because it's strange. I've almost flipped it to where you go in life where I go, man, success, something's wrong. But failure, <laughs> I'm learning something that's going to lead to You're a- getting feedback. Feedback, data. Um, and so that, that fine line, anxiety, excitement, um, what is failure? What does that mean? I think that a lot of times what failure truly is, is an, an outward expectation that you'll never meet for other people that are, that you think are actually looking at you and always considering what you're doing, which is not true. Most of the time <laughs> people don't care. And I think that for whatever reason, we, we mark down our own price on ourselves when we quote unquote fail, because we think that there was an expectation and it's all just, that's all uh, balderdash. That's all hullabaloo and malarkey. The the <laughs> failure and the breakdown moments are the absolute finite seeds that are the beginnings. You know, the, the three months of the bad set that I had wasn't the beginning. The beginning was in April when I went, damn it, I'm building a set that I'm never going to want to film this or share this beyond. And then I'm like, Oh, but in my frustration, what happens in April when I get on stage, all that other crap needed to be there because now I'm a pressure player and I'm doing whatever I need to do in April to go, that one little piece, that's the idea. I want to rip that apart. I want to, and so, yeah, don't be hard on yourself and don't care so much about other people. Take the ego out of it and don't care so much about, listen, when you succeed, when you fail, it, like, all that stuff should ultimately be for your family that you love, for the family that loves you, that brought you into this world, for the family you're building, and maybe one or two really close friends, mentors, and yourself to go, I did it. I get to take that energy with me for the rest of my life. And when it's all done and nobody cares about what I did 30 years ago, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that energy. I'm taking that with me to know I lived the best quality life I could and I figured out, maybe I didn't figure out myself entirely, but whatever the journey is and the challenge of this life, I delved into it. I took the hits and I accept who I am, good, bad, highlight moments, and sometimes missteps. And I didn't do those predicated on what you think I should have done or who I should be. I did it based on my gut and where I think that I wanted to take this journey, this one lottery ticket of life. I took it where I wanted, like, I'm 31 years into my comedy career. I'm taking this where I want to take it. I'm taking my family where I hoped I would be able to. And it doesn't mean that, guys, tomorrow, I'll tell you, I have a bright idea today that might be a terrible idea tomorrow. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to set something else in motion and go, okay, I already accomplished this. Let me start over with this. I might be terrible at it. But something in me wants to try. And try is where I get the most excitement in life. Not even success. Not even things yeah. apart. I'm I'm cool with both. I've had epic failure. I've had epic success. But if I have a try idea that I get excited about, I'm like telling my fiance, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. right, I'm going to build out this thing. And, I, you know, yeah. I've done this. But a couple of people are kind of sort of helping me. They kind of get it. Like, oh, my goodness. that That's where... The, the embarrassment of riches of life really come into play. And if you and if you can honestly, to anybody listening, 
if you could look at the the I call it like the eight spots around you, like the eight important um, uh, pieces of real estate, you know, the, the people, the businesses, the things that you keep close to you, if you can stand there and really look at those things around you and go, what don't I need? What could I fill this space with that? I just don't, I don't love this. It doesn't love me. It's not working. I'm holding on to it for reasons that maybe I just don't want to look like I wasted my time, but like, let it go. Open those spots around you for people with possibility for things with uh, th that need to be calibrated, recalibrated, life will be so much better if you just get the fucking bullshit away from you <laughs> and just allow yourself to be at the center of things that are loving, optimistic, possible. Um, it's not going to all work, but I will tell you, even if it doesn't, it's better to have something fall on its face and to be able to know in your quiet moments, hey, you know what? Even though it didn't work, it, we we all wanted it to work. Instead of looking around you and going, I actually surrounded myself with people who didn't care in the first place. What would have happened if I had people yeah. around me that really did? Think yes. all that stuff, man. Just being so, in the truth and being real with who you are and surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded. On that note, I had two thoughts to go back to, but on that note, do you then agree? I mean, it's a, I think it's a common saying out there of like, you are the sum of like the five people you spend the most time with. Uh, kind of, sort of. I mean, I definitely think that it's also seasons in evolving and allowing people to come and go and you to come and go from people's lives. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people get stuck with these are the things that I have and the people around me, they must stay and remain. And then we, and even in family, we do this sometimes like you're, we're holding on so tight because we think this is the clan that needs to be together the whole time. These are the items and the things. No, things can come and go out of your life. People can come and go out of your life. It's, it's okay. So the five yeah. spots, I don't know if I believe because you're a different person. Forget year to year. You're a different, we're different people daily. You know, we go through yeah. a myriad of emotions. And so I try to keep things and people around me that are also a myriad of emotions in a constant state of not flux, but change. And that yeah. allows me and all of us to, to, to be more malleable and move yeah. with life and not feel stuck. You can feel stuck when you, you go, ah, there's all the stuff around me. And then you're kind of in the middle, like now I must protect and keep everything here. And it's like, that's a job in itself. So no, it's about like allowing yeah. the ebb and flow of life. And hopefully you're surrounding yourself with people and things that also want to grow and evolve with you Mike. and away from you. You know, in my relationships, yeah. I want people, friendships. I want people around me that it's like, I support you and I'm here to be a soundboard and help you. You do the same for me, but go off and do what you need to do. And when we revisit, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be right with each other. We'll be able to share about like, what did I learn? What did you learn? And I think that's a more valuable way to live your life instead of trying to hold on to the five spots or eight spots around yeah, you. Totally agree. And my second, my second one back on your note about like those ideas and those things that you get excited about when it comes to throughout your career and even up to now with that, how quickly do you make decisions when you have an idea? Like, do you spend a lot of time going through, like thinking through it? Or do you, when you, when you're like, Hey, this is something I want to do. Do you make a decision? What does that process look like in your it, mind? It's both. I've had both knee jerk reactions. And suddenly I'm calling people and saying, am I capable of this? Can you help me with this? I don't know. Computer jargon. Can you help? But I've had things that I marinate on for years. I mean, 
like for example, I've been a video gamer my whole life. Like that's probably my golf. That's probably yeah, my same, same. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a lot, you know. And even going back to like when I was a kid, it was the one thing I could do alone that I didn't feel lonely. You know what I mean? Before you could be online with with other people in the community, it was like there was just something about the fantastical ability to jump into a world. But anyway, uh, you know, I spent years thinking about man, maybe I should build out. Um, a hub for myself in this community because I, I love gaming. I look at it all the time online. I watch videos. I watch other streamers, but I wasn't participating in it because I was like, "Could I? I didn't. I didn't know. Could I bring value to this space? It brings a lot of value to me." And once I finally, after years talking about it with with Kelsey, and finally she was like, "You should just, you just try. Just go for it." So that's an idea that took. I mean, we're talking years and years. It was on my mind of like, I wonder if I could engage with my community of fans that are also gamers away from stand-up and so i'm at the beginning of a new journey just 70 days into being like in this Dan Cook gaming danger gaming yeah that's me <laughs> <laughs> you've brought up multiple times like what what am i providing is that of value and i love that focus and i think that's kind of like when i i grew up watching comedy and really studying it and it was like it was very apparent right away whether someone actually had something to give or, or if they were like, I'm just getting up here to get attention, but you never came across that way. It was always like, okay, he, he's understanding. Could you kind of describe your process for wow. setting your intentions? <laughs> it's nice to hear you say that. Cause it, uh, one of the hardest parts about breaking through is the, you know, I think I once said like, once you're, once you're in the public eye, that that small lane of people that loved and believed because maybe they were on the whole journey now you're exposed to a lot of people that don't like it don't get it don't want to see it um and so it's funny because i when, that moment for me was it was so fulfilling but then at the same time it, it harkened back to a lot of my insecurity especially when i first started my career to be like oh man like like there are people that that uh, and even some comics that I valued and respected, like they they don't they don't like me. This isn't a this wasn't an automatic pass to be like I'm doing what I love and I've made the sacrifice on the career in the on the road. Like it was almost a a whole nother level of difficulty once I crossed through that uh, door into you know being entrepreneurial success version of myself because then there wasn't. Uh, there wasn't people that were as nice as your comments were just then. There was people on the other side that kind of challenged you and challenged your, uh, what is that, like steadfast to like to be able to stand there and go, no, I feel like I do belong here. But believe it or not, sometimes people would, you know, be coming at you critically and then you'd be going, maybe I don't belong here. If you don't have a strong sense of self, the worst failure is worse and great success you don't know exactly how to even manage it because you don't really know at your core that that uh, that deeper sense of self and how to handle whatever comes your way. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get so heady with it. Yeah. But like when you said that comment, I don't look back on my. I, I've got posters on the wall. I've got you know retaliation and and beautiful pieces of artifacts that you go, oh man, double platinum. And when I look at these posters, I remember a lot of the hardship, you know? Yeah. And I, don't, and I look at it and I can go, that was my saddest moment in life. And I can look at that beautiful placard and go, 
that's an indication of uh, a hardship that I'm, I made it past. And that to me, is it a album on the wall to say you sold many? That was, you made this despite the things that were impairing you and you thrived from it. And so it's nice to hear a nice comment like that. Um, comment like that, but, but it's also important to just like, I, I, I try to, um, make sure that people understand when you're listening to somebody who is sitting here going like, ah, you know, I, I made it. it. It's not, there is no making it. Yeah. It's constant deconstruction and reconstruction. And that's where you have to learn to love your life is within that moment. So I appreciate the nice compliment, but I do look back and go, I, making it to that level was almost like, I don't want this. I don't yeah, want to be, yeah. I don't want to be despised because I do what I love. Cause there was other people saying he didn't work hard on it. He's just up there flailing with no mission. And he just clicked one button on MySpace and somehow sold out Madison square garden. He cheated. He, that was a shortcut. And so it was like, Oh my goodness. Like, yeah, you know, even with that, that beautiful breakthrough moment, you know, nothing in life. There, the yin yang pendulum swing of life is. It's got to keep you constantly in that center, and you can't be on one side or the other too long, or else it's uh, everything kind of falls over. Okay, you you're bringing this up, and it's reminding me of something um, that you had mentioned. It was advice that, or a way to look at life that you got from Kevin Costner when you were going through a really hard time. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of expand on that? Yeah, I did a film called Mr. Brooks with Kevin Costner, who I was like uh, stunned and shocked that I got the job working opposite him, William Hurt, Demi Moore. But Kevin, I worked with every day. And um, I was uh, just being around him. I mean, I looked at him as he's, we're talking about what we're talking about here. I looked at him as like the example of, man, this man took his career. Not only did he, you know, Academy Awards and, big beautiful dances with wolves and but took some you know epic hits or, you know, did a couple of movies that were like just mo- so badly maligned that you would have thought like you no know, it's just a personal attack like like we need to destroy him for making a bad movie and it was just the amount of you know that he withstood but at the core of it you know he made tin cup he made field of dreams this guy made me laugh and cry he did the untouchables yeah. dances with wolves and now i'm sitting with him and I'm sitting at a lunch and I'm going through my mom had cancer and it was really brutal. It was like she was she was putting up the good fight, but it was it was, you know, having at her, especially that week. And I'm doing all these things. and I'm showing my mom you know, in comedy. I'm doing this. And now, mom, I'm working with my heroes and I'm look where, you know, this shy, quiet kid look where and it was really a lot of it was for my mom. A lot of the whole thing, even to where I am today is like to show her. You were right. I ha- I had this thing in me. Um, and he sat with me and he, he said, what's on your mind? I kind of share what I just shared with you. And I said, and I'm trying to do this and this career, it's like sometimes bigger than what I even, I didn't even know. Maybe it's too big. And he, and he shared with me the quote that I've shared a few times where he said, you know, if you're a person that's going to take big bites out into the universe, every once in a while, the universe is going to take a big bite out of you. And it was like, Wow. Wow. I, I think about it a lot, but at that time, I thought about it all day. Like his hearing him, the quote, the words, what it meant, what I when I found in it that was even more absorbent of like his statement. 
and I and I did understand that um, this game of life, that this simulation, this faith-based creation, whatever you want to believe, there is there is supposed to be these moments where you go for it, and there's supposed to be these moments where it's taken from you, and it's okay to have both. Yeah, it's okay to go for. It's okay to go against what everybody believes and take a big swing. And it's okay to miss so badly that you fall in the dirt. It's not <laughs> yeah, even about it. where it went when you hit it or where you went after you cleaned the dirt off in front of everybody. That's it, it doesn't matter. It's superfluous. You did it. If you're doing, you're winning in this life. Mm, I love that. And I think even for people that, um, you know, we look at, famous people actors and comedians and and i think it's easy for people to put up that that um they get that glaze on their eyes of like those aren't people and it's like no it's okay if you fail like we all fail we people go through those difficult things and i think that you know that's something just society and whole i think needs more of it's like oh, just more sure. understanding yeah and <laughs> i sometimes feel like um yeah no no i what you just said is so it's so important because um, I think sometimes people do feel like, oh, if it's a person saying it on a TV or on a radio broadcast, they're of more value. And how can I uh, at every day? It's like that uh, that messaging you have to take away. You know, there is no all, all the stuff that came with success was because I did my nine to five. I put in my 10,000 hours. You know what I mean? It's like. Anybody can have a camera at some point to talk about your journey, and it doesn't have to be in the arts. It could be something absolutely, you know, uh, not presented. You know, you could be the, um, you know, school teachers don't get enough uh, observance of the incredible job they do of like caring about a child and 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 growing a young mind and and fulfilling something that maybe that kid needs to leave third grade and know that's who I am. I'm already learning. And, and yet, a great teacher, I'd want to see in this same conversation with you guys, uh, talking yep. about, here's my fundamentals and what I try to instill based on my life and now what I want to pass on. And so, like, I could look and say, yeah, I'm a comedian who uh, hit zeitgeist moments in my career, but who cares? Like, a, a great firefighter who, who comes up with great technology to better fight uh, a blaze. Like, I want to understand and spotlight that person to be able to have this conversation to go, what made you get there? What made you feel like yeah. you wanted mm -hmm. to change the game to like, it's, we're all fascinating and it doesn't matter about public eye or the arts or whatever. These conversations, we could all be having these conversations with each other. You just need a camera in front of you to feel like, Ooh, I'm in some kind of, <laughs> right. That's I'm on a podcast. Yeah. Good. Make it, get a camera, get a few people together and start celebrating your accomplishments in whatever occupation you do and you get to feel a little bit of like the, oh, I'll do my hair today and feel like I'm a, a special person in the in the public eye. Everybody can have conversations like this and find value in them. Absolutely. Um, I, I have a question. So with what you've gone through the last, tw just let's say 20 years even, if you went, if you could go back 20 years, what what's a couple... What's a couple things you would tell yourself 20 years ago? Yeah, you know, this is like this conversation is if we had like a round table of like 15 or 20 people, it would be a debate, right? Some people like everyone has regrets and other people like <laughs> everything leads you to where you are today. Like, yeah. And I'm both. 
I had moments where I regret that I couldn't have had more time with my family. I regret that I couldn't have, you know, had better, um, you know, sense of self to be able to accomplish things away from comedy in my twenties. Like I could, woulda, shoulda, coulda a lot. We all can. Um, if I could go back, I, I think more than anything, maybe just reminding myself to enjoy, be mindful of the time away from the drive of the career and just enjoy, you know, Sunday fun day, you know, whatever your favorite little cheap food is. And you get to look at the person you love across and watch, uh, you know, an episode of, you know, last of us and go, man, I'm alive and kicking and uh, appreciate that. I'm in the today. I think early, and we all do this, by the way. It's like I'm telling advice that like is probably not changeable, but I'll say it anyway. So much of our young life is thinking about what you're supposed to be doing tomorrow and second-guessing what you did yesterday. Man, if you can pull that in and just enjoy a day, um, that's what I would tell myself. Just try mm -hmm. to enjoy more present moments. You had talked about five words and, and five things that are very powerful for you and like that you look for in in people that you surround yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. with. I got them. I got them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Mindful, thoughtful, collaborative, compassionate, and caring. Yes. How did you come to those specifically? Oh, my goodness. Um, some of them were things that I were not that I was not doing, you know, things that I was like, oh, I, you know, you know, I, I'm putting myself um, in a league of my own and I'm not being mindful of, you know, maybe some of the things that I could be doing to, you know, uh, be of service, you know what I mean? Be of service to my community or, or, or friends. Or, and so some of them are things that I needed to learn. And then some of those things were just realizing um, through great introspection, great therapy, the um, reading great pieces of work in you know journalism from other um, people that had been down the road, even people that mentored me, and understanding that like when you meet somebody and you you know you have your boundaries and they have you have your boundaries. Now we have to kind of figure out together like, do we jive? Can we hang? Are your boundaries? Are we too alpha? The ball? Is there you know? Are we able to uh, complement that? Or there's a number of things that would keep us from kind of the you know not being able to, you know, uh, gel. And so I, I went on, like, I went on this period in my life where I was in a constant observance of how people were treating me and how I was treating other people. And that was directly connected to about 10 years earlier where I would do with only comedy. I would spend a Monday walking around in a place that I'd never gone strictly thinking of funny i'd go to a farmer's market and go what are things that are funny about a farmer's market and i go <laughs> and that's all i do monday was my day i go to a carnival i go to a i don't know i'd walk into a fucking hotel that was having a convention and i'd sneak in and i'd watch a convention i only interpret comedy how are people treating each other in this convention how how or how are they dressed how whatever and i just try to mondays were my day to absorb comedy 10, 15 years later, I was like, I should be doing that with life and I should be observing how am I communicating to people and and, and are the people around me, um, do I have the right kinds of people around me? Because there was a period of my career where I let anybody close, not understanding that 
being in a position of uh, success that some people were there glomming on for the wrong reasons and they were like a succubus. They were just pulling energy or they were nefarious and they were taking lit quite literally sometimes. But so from there, the mindful, I learned about what mindful really was and read up on it and really understood like there are things that you can do to see if the people around you that say they love you are truly there for the right reasons and, and, and being mindful and then what thoughtful and the whole list and where that, and there used to be more, but what finally brought me to those is those are things that once you understand them, you can, you can know that you're putting those things forward, but you can also understand and you'll be tapped into the frequency of those are the kinds of people that you want around you. And now here's the kicker. Not everybody is mindful, thoughtful, compassionate, collaborative, and caring. It's not, it's impossible. We're, we're all fractured and people are going through dilemmas and we're, we're broken. And then we have moments of, and so really it's also knowing that sometimes when one of those things is potentially missing from incoming or out, maybe it's, that's where you give a little more compassion and try to help a person to understand. Like I've had to go to people and say, you're, you're, you're not thoughtful. What? Well, I can tell you <laughs> yeah. this, 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 and this. And even if they go, well, fuck you. And they leave your <laughs> life. I, what's amazing is sometimes that person, well, I'm old enough now that they'll come back and they'll go, thanks for being so stark. Yeah. Nobody told me. And when you said yeah. that, by the way, some people may never or haven't, but the reality is you want to try to be those things. And I try to live up to both being it and receiving that, even though it doesn't always add up. But those are, I think, the principles for me of the kind of people, places, and things that I, I want around me. That's awesome. Um, I know we've been on for a while. I still got a few more things, but I, let's let's lead a little bit into what you're doing now. So your special that's hey, yeah. out above it all. Um, it. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about where that came from and, and what sparked you coming and pushing in a new single and going back on tour and like what yeah. inspired you here? Yeah, it was uh, inspiration, man. It came from a lot of places, but uh, I love Marty Colner. He directed me in Vicious Circle, which he put me on the map. You know, he changed my career um, by capturing me at, at Boston Garden in a way that was like so bombastic and beautiful. Um, and then he helped me to cultivate uh, isolated incident he directed that special which when i called him i said i want to do the opposite i said i want to do a small club 300 people in one take no edits and he went <laughs> okay he's like that's an easy job for me he basically just hit me <laughs> um but he uh he's been an incredible um he's just an incredible he's a legend <laughs> i mean the guy's yeah. like and the fact that i I called him up and said, you know, I, I have this idea and I, I, I want to shoot something on my front porch and here's why and here's what this home means to me and here's what I think is going to make it dynamic from what I think has happened with stand-up, which I don't want to get in the weeds with it, but I think stand-up went from being one of the most dynamic things that you could experience on TV to one of the most boring things. I felt like it was a lot of derivative and not not inspired and thematic. I felt like some comedians were it was almost like they weren't being done justice because they're very funny, but a cheaply managed production was mm. almost devaluing them. And then some comics were being slotted right next to people that weren't ready for prime time. 
And if you put, unfortunately, the way life is, put 10 people that are kind of mediocre around one person that that is fantastic. And if that production value isn't great, what I was seeing was it was sending a subliminal message that your brand is less. Um, mm. And you don't get a lot of moments in life to actually feel excelling your brand. So I try to tell people, you know, you got to make sure that when you're ready to record that special or whatever, make something fucking amazing. If you're what I, I, I live, my home is, um, I, you know, I live in a part of Hollywood in the Hills that I used to, when I lived, I a little crappy apartment near a place called Barney's Beanery. And I used to look up to where my house is now. And I would look up there and go, man, I'd love the experience maybe of someday being up there, you know, living up there and looking up across the beautiful lights. Right now I'm living next to a, you know, a, this weird drunk dude who would have fucking fits in the middle of the night and kick his walls and, and <laughs> I just have the craziest bonkers neighbors in this apartment and finally found this beautiful home and, and pour my life savings into it and stood on the porch and said, I feel like someday I want to stand here and, and perform, uh, not only because it's my first home and I heard it, but um, when I was like 11 or 12, I would stand on the porch and sometimes I would be funny when the neighbors came over. If I felt confident, I would mm. basically perform on my porch. That was probably the first stand-up I did was like, I'm standing at a barbecue and everyone's looking at me and I'm doing some stupid shit and making people laugh. And I felt like it was important for me to close that circle and stand mm. on my porch and invite people into my home. And when I told Marty the idea, not only was he like super encouraging first, like you should do it even if I don't end up doing it. And then we came up and once we talked about the landscape and what we wanted to do, um, and it's funny, we drove down to where I used to stand and look up into the hills. I was like, I, I want to show you, this is the old spot I used to live in. And, uh, yeah. and w w why I thought I needed to be in this place in my life. Um, so it's very personal, but it's also big i wanted it to be big and dynamic and beautiful aesthetically but it's also a guy standing on his porch telling you about some of the hardest moments of his life in a very funny way and so it's a culmination of 30-year victory lap of stand-up it's a culmination of working with the best of the best again with marty culner it's a culmination i'm wearing my harleyton high school hoodie uh, that's who i am i'm the kid from boston that uh you guys helped put me on the map uh, mm. And so it's a lot, man. It's a lot. But hopefully at the very center of it, it's just a funny comedy show. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was very good. <laughs> it was good. And and I know I, we can't give away all the secrets. People definitely need to go watch it if they haven't, which they can get directly on your website. That's it, right? We just, I just signed a distribution, so it's going to be in wide release. But I wanted to do it through DaneCook.com. I wanted to be my own Netflix that's uh, awesome. At first, I partnered with Moment, and we did a thing yep. with Moment where we did like a live stream release of it. And then after that two-week run, and they were great partners on that, but after that two weeks, I decided to not distribute it with a larger streamer. Um, also, too, because just for any young comics listening or young musicians, people that are in the arts, you know, these streaming deals, you got to be really careful. You got to be really careful. You know, you, you own your, you create a song or comedy and they're not your friends. They're a big conglomerate business. And any contract beyond Boiler Room 2 page, uh, when you get a 40-page contract and you're that young kid, and I've had a bunch of them put in front of me, 
that 38 pages is not for you after the first yeah. two that like, <laughs> makes you feel good. Your name, artist, <laughs> Dean Cook, everything after that is losing your intellectual property, losing your data. Streaming service isn't going to tell you that uh, you're big in uh, Montreal and that's where the core numbers are. They ain't telling you shit. And you're, and you're never going to find out what your royalties and mechanical royalties are. They'll send you a check <laughs> based on something that based on something that they won't even let you see the data and analytics on. So for all those reasons, if you can grow your own network and you can um, have the opportunity to have your name on a .com or wherever you are, um, I, I implore you to educate yeah. yourself in a little bit of legalese. And uh, I'm so privileged to have been able to share this with my fans directly through danecook.com. And now I'm distributing it with a company. I don't want to say yet, but once it's released yep. in a couple of weeks, I'm distributing it as I'm the boss. I get the data. I log into the admin. Me and my team get to watch in real time where it's making an impact and where maybe it isn't. And for all those reasons, um, I hope people support it uh, because I want you to laugh at it, but also... If I can be the uh, template and the uh, the person who provides the playbook moving forward at why this worked and how it worked so that you can own your intellectual property, I, I hope that I can share that next time we talk, how to do that a little bit better. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I think it's crazy. I mean, you you've even seen over... Like when you started on MySpace, bringing it on there and starting to use social and kind of build your own following and have yeah. a little more control. Like, you know, think about starting today. For, the, two, for two years after MySpace, I sold Harmful of Swallowed out of my trunk or I was a fulfillment center. I was boxing it and I would send it out for two years. You know, I would log into my first website and I could log in. I could see my sales. Um, like I was a cupcake self, you know, like <laughs> I could see, you know, and then then comedy central records comes in and says, we want to give you a record deal, put it on shelves. And man, was I like pie eyed and excited. I mean, who doesn't want to be like at the time to be in like tower records or, you know, um, you know, uh, Newberry comics or strawberries or whatever, like, you know, and it was the most exciting idea and prospect. And then suddenly it felt like you were so far away from your own content because you weren't getting all the proper information. And sometimes just straight up, it's like they were just screwing you over because you'd be selling a certain amount of physical units in a store. And when you would say, okay, I sold 500 across the country today. How many did I sell in this new digital world? And they go, um, <laughs> 500. <laughs> Same thing. You'd be like, oh, it feels like way more people are, these college kids are downloading. And I learned really fast, even though I'd signed a four record deal. And for the most part, I had a great experience with the record company, um, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah. this day now, there are certain elements of my own catalog that I'm still fighting to get the data on or or have some um, say or control of where it would, would be or so again, I just, if, if you're in the business of, if you're going to do everything else to build yourself up as a performer, if you're going to do everything else to be a better musician, better guitar player, better vocalist, better comedian, if you're going to put in the 10,000 hours of sweat equity, then take a couple more hours and learn a little bit of legalese and understand, yep. you know, legal for dummies and know what you're reading and know what perpetuity means 
and have an understanding on how to say, hey, I want to redline that and I want to change that to, I can log into the website and I can see it with you guys. And if they say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Run. Flag. Run. 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 <laughs> are, there, are there any specific resources that you would recommend? Um, you yeah. said Legal for Dummies. I'm sure that is a, a book, but like, are there any other that you would? Oh, it's on it. Like, chat gpt or whatever this thing like oh yes <laughs> yes dude i, I use that it. every day yeah. <laughs> it's a it's it's bonkers how how you can you know the university of life is like you know you could take courses all day every day on there i'm fascinated by it but but truly honestly it's like just google research and getting yep. a hold of you know actual documents you can go online you can say uh you know i need a i need a uh a document a boiler room for you know whatever this you can you can find documents yeah. and then you read it and you go like what's this word mean it'll just help you on the long run to be able to have that uh you know that ability to communicate with with your attorneys to say like you know yeah i don't i don't want to give up 100% control over you know whatever it may be uh it just really and and, and i will say that i think not only educating yourself uh, you know, the legalese, but just, you know, whoever you're doing business with having a, a real, um, understanding of like the whole mindful, thoughtful, you know, get to, you got to get to know the people you're in business with. Mm -hmm. Somebody has got to call you out of the blue and go, I'm going to put you on the map. It's, it's too good to be true. Um, bringing up AI, I know this could be a whole show in of itself. Uh, so we won't, we don't have to spend a long time there, but we, we work a lot around like new technologies. We map existing buildings and make digital models. And I, I want to get your take because things are going in this direction and a lot of conversation around it. What's your take on the metaverse and the future in 20, 30 years? Well, this is where I geek out because I, <laughs> we're all tech. I, I love it. I love it. And I also understand that we're we're in such a precarious time with tech because it's um you know, it's accessing a lot of information, you know, beyond maybe like what we want to be putting out there when we log in. Um so it's tricky. It's hard because, you know, the the guts of what's behind some of these things, not everything is um being built up to be uh you know, the ultimate source of protection. So I yeah. think with anything else, you have to really understand and kind of read the fine print on um, on what we're allowing ourselves to share on in the world of tech. That being said, as far as the gadget gadgets and the gizmos and you know, I don't love the idea of you know when I saw Ready Player One and I remember yep. looking, <laughs> I, we knew it was going to come up. <laughs> it was like, and then I got my very first Oculus, the Rift. I had that one, the one where it was plugged into the yep. computer, which was the best one because um, I'd never seen anything like it. I was like the most immersive, visceral experience um, with this like new Apple stuff and Reality Pro and AR, VR, and like it excites me to think of like what you can, how you can populate your world with, you know, interesting visuals and access to more you know incredible information and, but at the same time it also the only concern i have is i think sometimes when you have access to things sometimes you can lose your drive because it's all right mm. there you're like if every time you open your fridge if everything you wanted was in there 
but sometimes you need only a couple things to be in there. Why? Because then it makes you hungry, quite literally. Like I, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to go out and you know get what's mine in the world. I want to earn stock in this fridge. And so mm. sometimes I think tech can be a little bit of a. It's almost like it's so enticing and it gets you so excited that it then depletes you because it's so everything all at once. And so I think that what I'm trying to say is people have to also limit the time that they spend on it so that they can truly figure out in life what makes me hungry, what makes me want to enjoy putting that on and being immersed as opposed to just kind of allowing themselves to, um, what am I trying to say? Like, if, if, if you keep that around you all the time, it's almost yeah. like a beautiful illusion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, if it, like you're saying, limiting it makes that time that you're using it even more special, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. I, I did a bad, uh, you, you pinpointed it better than I did, but it's, it's like, yeah, like even, even gaming, like it's a reward for me for the work I do in my life. Yep. And then when I jump on, if I jump on a game and I've had three days where I've done like next to nothing, like for myself or somebody else, which doesn't happen often, I don't enjoy it. And so yeah. I love these ideas of like where all of that can take us. You know, I'm excited about this Apple idea. And it, but then you hear eye tracking and the worlds it's going to create around you. And you start to feel like, <laughs> if I'm a person that isn't already in my lane, what does that mean for somebody new who gets so overwhelmed with all this stuff? And then you take that off and like, really, where are you? Where are you before you put it on? You know what I mean? Where are you in yep. life? And I hope that people and young people especially will um, continue to go like, I rather really want to cultivate my actual existence and then let that additional tech be a reward or an accoutrement for the things that I built for myself in reality. Are, okay, then my question, uh, we, we don't, you know, we're not going to live in the metaverse yet, but do you think we should have a Dane Cook special in the metaverse, like a show at some point here? Um, would you perform virtually? I love, <laughs> I don't love, well, because comedy is so with a crowd. It is, you're right. You know, nothing, yeah. has, nothing feels like it. I've done everything from movies, TV, you know, I've done, you name it. Nothing, yeah. stand up, nothing, nothing, nothing. But I will tell you, not to plug Dane Cook Gaming exclusively on Twitch, but that, <laughs> that feeling of um, creating a cinematic moment in a game that's fun and exciting because it's a cliffhanger. You know, am I going to win or lose? And then being able to be funny within it. And I have a community that is like my fans and new fans. In, in a way, yeah, like in that realm, I enjoy that. It's like, oh, wow, a big community gets together. The other day I said... Where is everybody tonight? I had about a thousand people watching me play some Warzone. I had everything from you name a plate, a corner of the earth, and people were there. I was like, "Wow, this! Yeah. Is, I'm doing a, a, you know, the when I did the the, I did one night where it was about twelve thousand people watching me. I'm like, I'm in an arena that's filled yeah. with people from around the world, and I'm being funny. And sometimes I get to be a little bit uh, or pretend to be enlightening or think I know something. It's <laughs> a good question. Sometimes I have a pretty good answer. Um, but the reality was I felt like I was of value in there. I was like, oh, yeah. man, I, I, I'm, I'm entertaining. I'm, I'm, it's of value to me because I love this. And I got to be funny and dramatic. And the game was funny and dramatic because sometimes I stink and sometimes I'm fucking awesome at it. <laughs> so you kind of live in that moment of like, what is this one going to be? Is Dane going to be 
funny because he's not doing well or is he going to be confident because he's killing it and at the end of that run you get people thank you like it was a show thank you i'm glad i spent a couple <laughs> hours with you <laughs> nice to yeah take off the you know put the controller down and go like but now i get to get back into life and earn that next moment and i hope that yeah. we fans and people listening to your show and you guys as well realize that like what you guys are bringing to this you know this set into this you know uh portal that you guys have created it's it it penetrates even more if the things that you guys do away from it in life is then brought here and the fabric of that will be felt even if it's not discussed you you feel like a real um present feeling with somebody who you know you ever like i meant like a dude one one time he's a fucking i just say he's an adventurer this guy's like <laughs> i was cliff diving i was and then i went to thailand and i was oh you know i did some treasure hunting we found these um mayan uh the first <laughs> and he was telling me all this stuff and the next time i saw him i felt adventure when i saw him yeah what did we do recently <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like wow this guy just permeates life and <laughs> When you guys do that, when I do that, when the people are living life and you and you walk into a room, even if people don't know your origin, you feel it. You feel that energy. You feel it's a weird thing that's like energy. If you ever like do deep dives into like molecules and energy and like Uh everything's vibrating, it's very it's trippy to think like everything in this cup, in this, in my shirt, it's all the same under a microscope. How it's solid, um, I don't always get it. I don't, but whatever that vibrating energy is we do carry it so when that dude that i saw that was the adventurer walked into the room the next time it was like (laughs) damn man he changed the climate of this room quite simply not because he i don't think he was this adventurer because he was a person that like lived so much life that i felt like it was just wafting off him in these moments so that's what you want to be what i want to be and then that'll um kind of like uh uh absorb into whatever else it is that you're doing, say, on your program, for example. You just made me think of uh, when you were saying he, he was so adventurous. The next time you saw him, I couldn't help but like picture you talking about, I felt like I was in the Civil War. <laughs> I, was, I, went, I went straight into that. I am the adventurer. Like, what did we just do? <laughs> yeah, man. Like, well, no, I'm, it's funny. I'm, fi- I'm 50. I'm the old bull in comedy. And I will tell you, it's like it, I had to finally, um, I had to finally realize that, oh man, like I, I, I used to dream of being like those people. And now I am, I can walk into a room and I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve and you can ask me questions. I'll tell you about epic failure. I'll tell you about high watermark moments. And now I go, I get to be that. I hope that people understand that like, I can't, I'm a welfare kid from outside of Boston, a rough upbringing. Uh, you know, every kind of personal phobia and anxiety, uh, not a lot of phobias, but a little phobic and a lot, you know, and built myself up to a person that like, I know when I walk into a situation, I got some stories to tell, you know, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool to finally go like, oh man, I, I earned my stripes, you know, and I, now all I want to see is I want to see other people earn yeah. their stripes. I get more kick. I, I get a kick out of the things that I create, like doing above it all or do like I get a huge kick out of it because I love I love trying and but I get even more revved up when the people around me are at the starting gate and they go I have an idea and I, I think it's starting to come together like man that gets me like so enthused <laughs> that other people are 
at the beginning of earning their stripes. Okay, we're talking about energy and connecting, and I had this question as I'm like going through all the the different venues that you've done. You've done arenas and you've done things that are small. What, like outside of just like how much attention it's getting, what is your favorite scale of audience so you feel that connection? I don't know if I have a favorite scale of audience because there's something really great about on a Tuesday night walking into the improv and, and there's 55 people there. Yeah. You know, to actually just go, um, how you guys doing? And somebody goes, eh. And then you go, like, <laughs> uh, me too. And it's like, okay. Um, and then, you know, you play these great, beautiful, like a Beacon Theater or I just was uh, in Boston back at, I still call it the Wang, but the Bach. Um, you know, an arena is like an event. I'm going to do Mohegan Sun in April. It's like, it's an event. It's it, they all have different, uh, they all have different outputs and inputs. So it's like I don't think I have one favorite, but there is something that's still really um, glamorous about walking into a comedy club in front of a couple of hundred people with a bunch mm-hmm. of things that you know are funny. They're not the funniest, and they're not fully there yet. And experiencing those first laughs in a tiny little room with a low ceiling, uh, yeah, it's weird. I play every arena. And, and I still, when I am in my car driving right down the hill to go to one of the local clubs, I get the same buzz that I would get if I was driving to Madison Square Garden. I get excited. I'm like, ooh, I get to try out these new ideas. <laughs> yeah. What are people? How, how often are you doing that, trying out new material? Like, how, how many jokes would you say or stories are you kind of thinking about or mulling over in, a, like, a month period? And if sometimes you got, like, sometimes it's, never-ending ideas sometimes it's <laughs> never ideas uh there are there are definitely you know moments in my career where i wouldn't say you know even in like a writer's block moment i guess i don't refer to it as that but what people know as writer's block i i like my version of that is getting on stage and saying uh i have nothing to say i have in finding humor in the fact that i have no humor within me <laughs> and i try to dig it out um but but I will say when you when you were when you're firing on all cylinders, and again, this is just for comedy. This is anybody listening. Only you know if you're firing on all cylinders. Only you know. So you gotta be the you gotta answer the question and then you have to act on it, which is give me the ball right now. I got it. I know I'm gonna score. I ha- I've got it within me, and nobody else is gonna know that but you. And for me in stand up, there are nights when I'm like Nothing is not going to work tonight. I got it. Yeah, I, all my oh ideas my are going to come to fruition. And then there's other nights where literally, as they're saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook," I'm I'm going. What do I start with? I have nothing. Uh oh. You say at this moment. But when you're firing on all cylinders, again, this is mm. where all the precursor. Listen, if you're ready to fire on all cylinders and you and you've got your big idea, and it's time to level up, and you're ready but you have surrounded yourselves with a bunch of chumps and people that want it, you know, mediocrity rules. And unfortunately some people, when they're not ready to be exceptional in themselves, they're content with being mediocre and they just want other mediocre cause that's safe. And if you're mediocre with them, but you're ready to fire in all cylinders and you've surrounded yourself with people that aren't going to be like, go for it, do do it. Then yeah. you're in trouble. So yeah. prep yeah. yourself for the day you're firing all cylinders. Cause I know when I'm feeling that, my girl comes in and she's like, I know that look. Go get him. Do it. <laughs> oh, 
I know that you live through these moments. Go for it. So have those people around you. And when you feel like you're ready to deliver, whether it's in front of a stand-up comedy crowd or, or whatever it is that you're doing, when, you, when you're ready, give me the ball moment. You make sure you have people around you that go, you know what? You've done it for me here. What do you need from me to support you right now? We, we get it. You, we see the fire. Mm. Go for it. Love it. Well, I know we've been on for a while, so I want to wrap up here shortly. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on today. So yeah, man, again, we got to do this. I, we were, uh, yes, this has been great, man. We were trying to get the tiger by the tail for, uh, you know, for a long time. So I appreciate you guys being cool, calm, patient. And uh, now here we are on your uh, soon to be famous uh, game show. There we go. You know, I appreciate it. Well, again, danecook.com for your special. Yeah. And then your tour coming up. You're going quite a few places. Yeah, the Perfectly Shattered Tour starts in March, goes through April. We're already adding a bunch of dates for October to November, but we're not announcing those yet. Um, it includes uh, Parks Casino, one of my favorites, Mohegan Sun Arena, one of my favorites, uh, the Chelsea at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas, which I've done a bunch of times. Uh, we're going to live cast one of the shows. I don't want to announce that one yet, but you'll be able to watch one of the shows live from a certain location. So a lot of fun. Um, and I hope that everybody comes out and sees uh, the some of the great openers that I have. I have some new talent that I think people Ooh, are going to want to know. And, yeah. and follow. you know, it's it's great to be able to break new talent and give people their moment to shine on my shows as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. We uh, look forward to seeing you here at some point. And uh, thanks again for everything you're doing. Uh, glad to see your journey continuing. And and honestly, and we didn't really get into it either, but with your new relationship and uh, just seeing you happy and continuing your journey, man. Absolutely, man. It's, uh, you know, I feel very blessed and very grateful. So all I want to do at this point is uh, put that into an incredible tour and uh, bringing people, you know, especially coming out of this crazy couple of years that we've had, I think it's really imperative that we all just, you know, get behind each other and anything we can do to provide some entertainment or uh, escape, uh, I'm totally into. But I want to thank you guys again for having me on and continued success with the show. And I look forward to seeing where you guys take this as well. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Dane. All right, fellas. All right, fellas.